I'm Alison Braddock, Marketing and Business Development Manager for SRUC Veterinary Services. Hello and welcome to another episode of our On The Hoof podcast series. This is one of a number of episodes looking at health schemes for vets in practice. Today, we will be examining what to do when you find an MV positive in your client's flock after carrying out a routine periodic blood test for sheep and goat health schemes accreditation. I am talking with Dave Wilson, health schemes manager. Hello, Dave. Hi, hello again, Alison. Hi. So just to give a bit of background and to put things in context, briefly, what is MV and why is it important to control in the flock? Yeah, uh, MV, Mydivisna, is a viral disease. Um, it's one of the small ruminant lentiviruses, is um, the group that it's in, and, and they're slow viral diseases. Um, and what that means is is that it, it's pretty it's highly infectious, but it has a long incubation period, and um, it can uh, animals are, can be infected for quite a long period of time before they even test positive. Never mind showing clinical signs. Uh, so um, it's classed as one of the iceberg diseases. It can build up in the flock and cause production problems uh, insidiously. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the mighty part refers to uh, uh, chronic pneumonia and uh, also associated uh, a hard bag mastitis and, and arthritis can be involved. And the visna is a nervous form, which is less common, but we do see sometimes. So it's it's it, it's a cause of uh, ill thrift and and chronic respiratory disease normally, and um, the importance for the flock is probably twofold. One is production wise, as it builds up in the flock, the ewes become um, uh, unproductive. Um, they rear poor lambs, they become thin, and um, it, it obviously affects the bottom line of the of the farm in, in that way. Culling rate uh, goes up. Uh, replacement costs are, are higher, etc. And then also, if you are um, selling stock, breeding stock, you obviously it's a problem if you're selling animals that turn out to be MV positive um, on the flock of uh, the destination flock. Um, so they, there's no cure, uh, there's no vaccine, and all um, cases uh, are ultimately fatal. Um, and if uh, once a, a, an animal is infected, um, they will, up to six months' time, uh, become uh, positive on the blood test. The vast majority of them will. Occasionally, uh, the odd one doesn't. Um, and uh, the infection uh, affects the white blood cells and becomes permanent in, in most cases. So animals that are blood positive uh, are very likely to be uh, also uh, chronically infected and potentially infectious to, to to others. Thank you. So, what is the prevalence of MV in Great Britain? It's a it's a tricky question. We don't know exactly. Um, within the um, MV accredited um, flocks, it's very low. You know, it's a fraction of a percent um, of uh, of members' flocks break down every year. Mm-hmm. And, and most of those are only with a, a single positive animal in the flock. So it's very low in the accredited 
population, but it has been rising as the challenge from um, MV in, in the in the general population increases. Um, but it has been increasing in the general population as far as we can as far as we can tell. Um, I think in the um, in the late 90s, it was estimated about one and a half percent of flocks. And then there was a survey 2013, which said it was getting on towards 3% of flocks. Now, as far as we can now tell, when, when we look at first qualifying tests for people wanting to join the scheme, so they're testing their non-accredited flocks, usually mm -hmm. for the first time. And if we look at um, non-accredited flock screens for the uh, non-accredited flocks of um, members who have a separate accredited flock, they need to do a 12U screen in their non-accredited flock whenever they do a routine test of their accredited flock. Both of those have been recently being positive in the last few years in around 8 to 10% of um, cases. So that would be probably the, uh, a good estimate, or the best estimate that we currently have um, of the, um, uh, the flock prevalence in, in the general population. Um, so yeah, it seems to have gone up significantly in the last ten years um, uh, from from the previous study. So yeah, it's an increasing uh, problem we think, and obviously that puts pressure on accredited flocks when there's more infection around, and and it also means people are more aware of it. That uh, there's more pressure on people to source animals from um, uh, flocks that are you know demonstrated to be much lower risk for. Uh, for being infected with MV. Thank you, Dave. So if you need to investigate suspected MV uh, in a client's flock more generally, where does the farm vet start? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing would be, um, we're not talking about accredited flocks here, but just in general, it's good mm -hmm. practice to probably be monitoring for it and looking for it before you actually suspect that it's there. Once you have you know, clinical signs or you suspect that you're actually seeing poor production, um, it's probably quite widespread in the flock. So it should be part of the, the, the health plan, the general monitoring of the flock. Um, and that can be um, blood sampling, a, a, a targeted selection of ewes. We, we often do, do a, a selection of 12, either cull ewes or ewes that are thin for no apparent reason. Um, and we find that um, if you blood sample those for MV, one for each kind of separate management group on the, on the farm, if there are different groups, that gives you a, a, a good level of, um, of confidence that there's not a high level of MV in the flock if they come back negative. Um, so you can do blood tests on a targeted basis like that. It's important for the vet to select the right animals to, to test. Um, the other thing, obviously, post-mortems are really useful. Uh, and again, that, that would be cull animals or, or, or losses that are, that are thin. Um, and certainly us in Scotland for SIUC and, and APHA um, south of the border, we'll do a package for you know three or four um, Cool use. We can uh, examine them alive, blood sample them, um, uh, euthanize them, post-mortem them, and, and that will test for all your iceberg diseases, um, you know, uni CLA and um, MV uh, as, as well, uh, and the others, as well as, you know, many other things. Um, so it's a very good uh, way of uh, a running uh, monitoring of the, of the flock is, is to, to, to test a package of, of, of cool use regularly. 
when you get onto actual suspected disease, you often find by the time that a flock's being investigated for MV because it's suspected that they do have MV, um, and if you find it, there's often you know, um, more than half the animals were seropositive in, in the flock, and it's a real problem trying to control it at that point. Because uh, obviously most infected animals uh, don't go on to develop clinical signs, but a significant proportion do. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I think that's the starting point, is, is monitoring uh, through um, 12U screens, post-mortems. And then obviously, if you're looking at clinical disease, uh, following examination, you're looking at the same kind of methods, um, blood samples, post-mortems, uh, and, and taking it from there. Yeah. And it might be worth mentioning at this point, we do have the Sheep and Get Health Scheme's monitoring scheme um, to monitor um, for MV2, don't we, Dave? And that's, that's um, where you get a discounted rate on testing um, for, for clients. So... Yes, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that that's based on um, a targeted um, testing of twelve or twenty um, thinner ewes, usually uh, selected by the vet. Um, so, so we 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 run that, um, and um, there are uh, there are other MV uh, monitoring schemes. Um, obviously, um, accreditation is a different matter. But for, for monitoring, we find that that uh, targeted um, treatment um, testing approach to, to be very useful and, and, um, and, and effective, cost effective. Thank you, Dave. So getting back to the accreditation scheme for MV in sheep and goat health schemes, if the client's animal comes back positive as part of a routine periodic blood test, what does the farm vet do to tackle the disease? Yeah, and it can be a, a really worrying time for the client, but also for the for the vet, you know, because it can it can uh, be very important for it for a client's business to be MV accredited, and it you know it it, it can be it can be a, a, a very uh, a serious thing for them to get a positive. So um, it's good to have an idea of of how to respond to, to queries in that in that situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is that. that one of the main points is that when you're testing to look for a rare disease, now MV in the general population isn't rare, but in the accredited population, it is, it is a rare disease. Mm, um, so when you're testing to, uh, for a rare disease, it's quite difficult um, to interpret positive results because even the best tests will throw a few false positives. Uh, so uh, our, our first MV test that we use is, is, is an ELISA test. And that will probably be, if you tested 150 negative animals, you would probably find that one of them tested positive on average. You know, it varies from flock to flock, of course, but on an average, uh, it's that kind of level of, uh, which, you know, which is a very good test. It's, mm. it's half, half a percent or something or a fraction of a percent. But um, uh, when you're testing hundreds of negative animals, you know, these do turn up. Uh, and if the actual uh, prevalence of disease is lower than that, you end up being with most of the positives that you get actually being false positives, despite the fact that it's a very good test. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we do, we try and maximize um, the specificity of our testing as much as possible at uh, avoiding these false positives. So if we get a relatively um, 
uh, low number of uh, positives in a test, we automatically run those in a second test straight away. So the vet or the client wouldn't necessarily hear about the first positive until we've run the second. Um, and then the second test is a different ELISA test. And to maximize specificity um, in accredited flocks, the animals would need to be positive in both to be classed as a positive animal. Um, and we find we've been doing this for a number of years and we find virtually no recurring problems with the animals that tested positive in one negative and the other. They just don't turn up, up again. Um, so um, they need to be positive in first and second tests. And at that point, we would put out a report and that's the first that you or your client would, would hear about the positive. And that's when obviously the phone calls start because people are are worried, understandably so. Mm. Um, if there is um, a higher proportion of the flock positive, then we don't go on to the second test because the, the chances of them all being uh, incorrectly positive is vanishingly small after a while. Um, so um, usually over 5% or over 5 in in, um, uh, in smaller tests is, is, is the ballpark. But on a case-by-case -case basis, we don't routinely uh, do a second test when there's a high number of high uh, proportion of positives. Although we will on request, uh, we may need to charge for those if there's a large number of second tests we uh, to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, but we don't, don't routinely do it because the chances of them all being negative is uh, is, is virtually nil. So at that point, um, there's a small number of positives occurred unexpectedly in a routine test. Mm -hmm. um, we then um, suggest those animals are isolated and resampled three to six weeks later. Um, we we do sometimes find that an animal will react to the MV test and, and, and throw a positive and then end up being negative on, on resample. And again, we find very, we find no problems with those animals going forwards. Um, <clears throat> so within the uh, the routine test in the accredited uh, scheme, there's probably, it's probably 60 or 70% of those will retest negative. Um, if the, you know, if it's only a very, a, a small proportion of the flock that's tested positive, you know, uh, one or 2% or something like that. Um, obviously when there are a larger number of positives, um, the, the chances of them all going negative, I say are much, much smaller. But um, yeah, so the chances are it's more likely than not in most cases when there's been a, a, the odd unexpected positive thrown up that the three to six weeks week resample will will be negative. But we can't obviously can't promise that that will be the case. Mm -hmm. But um, we can certainly let people know that uh, that in the majority of cases they they end up being clear on on retest. It's probably the same when you look at the the, the first ELISA, um, the number of the proportion of positive in, uh, animals that are positive in the first test, which then go on to be positive in the second. Again, it's a minority which which do most of them are clear on the on the on, on the second test. Again, it's probably about a third of them end up being positive in both. They then go on to get the three to six weeks resample, and um, most of those will will not confirm as positive and will be negative. Mm -hmm. So when you, when, you, when you put it like that, it sounds as though um, it's a problem with the tests. 
but it's really not. There's, there are so many negative animals. Um, as the, the small proportion of uh, false positive animals that um, are compared to the actual number of genuine positives is, is kind of similar because the disease is so rare. So uh, it's, it's a significant proportion of the results that we get, mm. even though it's a very small proportion of the uh, overall test. So I think that's that's the first thing that um, in routine tests, most of these will retest negative. And that's a different situation to qualifying tests. We've looked at qualifying tests uh, where you throw a positive, or if they get a three to six weeks retest, um, probably most of those will go on to confirm as positive because you're talking uh, about a, a population with a higher proportion, a higher um, prevalence of disease. And so then the, the predictive value of a positive is higher. Um, you know, many more of the actual positive results will be positive animals. So most of those will, uh, the vast majority of those will go on and confirm um, on retest. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it's a higher risk situation, the predictive test, the value of the test is higher in that situation. Um, in a qualifying test, most resamples go on to confirm the positive, whereas in accredited flocks, um, because you're talking about a much lower proportion of the actual animals involved, um, most of the uh, positive animals will go on to retest negative. But there still is a significant proportion that confirm as positive. Uh, as, as I say, about 30-40% of them will. And then that's that's when you end up with a with a breakdown. So at that point, we'll We'll send out the um, the break, you know, the breakdown um, letter with a questionnaire for filling in uh, and requesting details of animals moved off the farm um, and um, shoes and sales, etc., and the source of any positive animals. And yeah, we'll take it from there going forward as a, as a breakdown. But uh, so most people who get that initial positive won't get that far. Thank you, Dave. That's a useful um, background in terms of the test methodology and, and the fact that you've done that uh, tried and tested method for a long time. So although it's a worrying time, isn't it, when positives uh, um, appear, um, you know, it's, it's in good hands in terms of, of, of how we follow that through. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the uh, and what happens then? depends on um, whether there's a single or multiple positives. A few years ago, we brought in a faster track reaccreditation for breakdowns where it's just caused by a single positive animal. And that's mm -hmm. just to reflect intrinsic intrinsic lower risk in that situation. Yeah. Um, so effectively, once that animal plus any lambs under six months of age uh, in the flock, that they, sorry, under 12 months of age in the flock mm -hmm. that they've suckled, um, have removed, then a, they would do a qualifying test after six months, uh, six to 12 months, well, over six months um, of everything over 12 months of age. And um, accreditation could be regained at that point. And then we'd ask for another one six months later um, to, to, to confirm, but they could get accreditation back in, in six months time. Whereas if there are two or more positives in the flock, then um, we would use what was the, the traditional method of uh, reaccreditation where you would wait six months, do a first qualifying test, 
six to 12 months later, you would do a second qualifying test. So it would take minimum 12 months to get uh, re-accredited at that point. We, we're always happy for uh, for members or their vets to get in touch um, in this situation when there's been a breakdown, mm-hmm. um, either email or, or, or can, can phone up the, the health scheme team here at St. Boswell's. Um, <clears throat> sometimes if, if uh, a group of animals have been completely separate for a minimum 12 months and then they all test negative it may be possible for that group to retain accreditation um it's it, it doesn't happen that often but for example if um lambs have been weaned in the autumn and they've gone off to a kind of separate unit and then 12 months later they're preparing for sale and they get a breakdown those top lambs may have been completely isolated for 12 months as long as they test negative, where they can they can be uh, considered accredited. We do that on a, on a year by year mm-hmm. basis for, for, for any uh, partial groups like that. But the the separation of the group needs to be fully separate as per the rules of the scheme. So as separate as you would from any neighbours that were not accredited, for example. So two meter gap, no shared airspace, no shared equipment. Um, you know, transport handling systems disinfected, all the usual rules. And then following that minimum 12 month separation, um, they need to all get a negative test. Uh, but that, 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 as I say, for groups of um, animals for sale, for example, or something like that, it, it, it can be, uh, it can work in some situations. Thank you, Dave. I think that's given us a really comprehensive overview of what needs to happen when a client um, has a flock with a positive in a routine periodic blood test. So what happens in the case of a larger flock breakdown? Yeah, they can be more difficult to to deal with, obviously. Thankfully, they're rare, but we we get a couple every year uh, where there are a significant proportion of a flock discovered as being positive occasionally at um, a routine test, more often at qualifying tests. But basically at that point, you're looking at um, how do you eradicate MV from a flock? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it can be a complicated issue, um, but there are certain principles that you can um, uh, work from. And again, we're more than happy for, for you or, you or your client to give us a, a, a ring to, to discuss. Uh, I think the first thing is to establish um, the prevalence of MV in the flock. Now, if you've just done a routine test or your qualifying test, you'll have a, probably a very good idea of, of level in your, in, in your flock. Or if you've discovered it through um, 12-year monitoring, you might have to do some, some other testing, depending on the size of the flock, to, to work out just how much of a problem you've got. But um, once you've got an idea of... Um, the, um, the the size of the the problem and any particular groups or management groups or age groups that it's that it's affecting, then that's when you you need to to sit down and work out your your plans and and things can range from um, just total destocking and and restocking um, and and in those cases where it's discovered because of clinical disease and you test them the sixty percent of the flock positive or something you know, you're often looking at that, that kind of uh, solution. To um, a, a testing call program, um, which which runs a bit 
similar to getting accredited for the MV scheme, you know, testing, getting rid of the positives, six months test again. Um, to just bringing in management, um, uh, uh, bringing uh, management actions that will reduce the risk. But I think that the management of sheep is so varied and the types of flock that, that are so varied that it's very difficult to um, just have a set of rules to follow. Um, but there are a number of key areas to address and probably different ways that they, they could be addressed, some of which are appropriate for small pedigree flocks, some of which are appropriate for large hill flocks, you know, and, and, and um, um, so it's a case of sitting down and working out what you can do. So doing some things better than doing nothing, even if you can't do, um, you know, the gold standard or what you, you would appear to be the gold standard. So I think the first thing is you want to get rid of positive animals. And that can either be you test everything and you get rid of the positives and you test them again, like a test in cull. Or you can try and identify the positives in larger flocks by, you know, culling harder, thinner animals, non, um, uh, less productive animals, mm -hmm. um, offspring of positives. So there, there are proxies that you can use to try and identify mm. animals more likely to be positive. If you, uh, older animals, for example, if, if, if you, um, if testing everything is not a practical option. Mm. Um, so yeah, condition, productivity, age, um, can all be proxies for infection. And so you can reduce the number of the amount of infection by, um, uh, selecting on those, those kind of bases, but in smaller flocks, you may be able to test everything and, um, bearing in mind that animals that are infected in the first uh, up to six months of infection may well test negative. So it's not just a one-off process. So you want to be getting rid of positives. You want to be, uh, that's one, two, you want to be reducing spread between animals. So if there are positives there, you want to um, reduce the, the chances of them um, spreading the infection to, to others. So that's to do with uh, management. It seems to be that it's much less likely to spread with animals at grass. So if they can be managed 100% outside, mm. uh, there are good reasons to think that that might be very effective at actually um, reducing uh, the spread to, to, to low levels. Um, reducing housing time anyway, stocking rates, um, um, and uh, early weaning, uh, separating age groups so that they don't spread from one to the other. There are various uh, ways that are appropriate to various flocks, but consider how you reduce spread between animals would be the second thing. And then third is, is um, which is related to that to some degree, was, is obtaining uninfected replacements. So you would either, you know, that ranges from you buying accredited animals, you're testing animals uh, in, um, bearing in mind that, you know, infected animals can test negative in, in, in the earliest stages of infection. Um, or you are uh, keeping the offspring of negative animals or you're keeping the offspring of younger animals that are more likely to be negative uh, down to, um, you know, uh, early weaning, your replacements so there's less chance for them to become infected. Um, and um, taking that to an extreme for, for for some flocks where they want to particularly retain genetics, you, know, you can do snatch lambing, 
removing lambs at birth that have to be reared entirely biosecurely separately seems very effective at actually um, uh, producing negative animals. And um, things like um, AI embryo transfer can be uh, effective at uh, in producing negative animals as well. So there's a, there's a whole range of things, but I would say sit down and consider those three things. Getting rid of animals that are positive or likely to be positive, reducing spread within the flock, and sourcing negative uninfected replacements. And it may be that you then can start, you know, take the offspring of negatives, keep them um, separate as a nucleus flock and build that up, um, you know, as, as you run down yeah, your infected flock. But um, running uh, a positive and a, uh, a lower risk, hopefully negative, but lower risk flock on the same unit can be difficult. And it's it's quite common to have breakdowns with, with doing that. But um, so it, it, it's not easy to come up with with, with a plan. But, but if you address those issues, I mean, even just keeping the off, offspring of negative animals has been shown over the years to um, to reduce um, prevalence in, in the herd, or, or a flock or herd. Um, so the things that you can do, I wouldn't be uh, too um, downheartened that you can't do everything. But if you sit and work out what you can do in any given flock, it is possible to make, make progress. Great. It's, it's good to know there are always options and it's always good to have some plan in place. So thank you, Dave. Yeah, and certainly give, it, you know, give us a ring here at, at St Boswell's and we're happy to, to chat things through. For further information, uh, do visit our website, uh, sheepandgoathealth.co.uk. Uh, we're on various podcast platforms, including Spotify. And we hope our listeners have found this useful. And we look forward to having you back for our next episode. So watch this space. And thank you, Dave. Thank you.